right, boys and girls, episode 142 with Mike Isriatel is about to begin, and he has probably one of the best personalities ever that's been on this show, because he throws a lot of random, funny stories into this episode, along with a lot of great information from training recommendations to nutrition and he even covers his opinion about the ketogenic diet, along with answering every single question I got from Facebook, even the weird ones that some people threw some random inside jokes in there. So this episode is jam-packed with a lot of great stuff. So without further ado, here we go. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Cut the Shit, Get Fit. I'm your host, Rafael Matuszewski, and joining me today is Mike Isriatel. Say hello. Hey, good to be on. Thank you for having me. No problem. So to start off, to break the ice for the audience, can you uh, tell them what you got planned for the weekend? Oh, boy. Um, I am going up from Philadelphia to New York City because, honestly, I'm giving up my career in sports science to become a Broadway star. (laughs) And I sold all my belongings. I, I don't need dance or singing lessons because some things just come naturally. And I've got it. You know, whatever it is, I've got it. So that's, that's what I'm up that's, to. That's awesome. That's great. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you have, like, a stage name that you came up with yet? You know what? Just one letter. Like, I'm trying to figure out what letter it is, but it needs to be something just, you know, like like Prince had a symbol. I'm going to have just one one thing because, you know, I don't. there's enough complexity in this world. People need something simple. An unbelievable Broadway star with this just known by one letter. That's going to be me. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, so to do a little intro, because you're the first time I've had you on the show, for my audience, can you tell them who you are, what you do, and how did you get into this industry in the first place? Totally. Um, so I am Dr. Mike Isratel. Um, I have a PhD in sport physiology, which I got at East Tennessee State University, studying under the great Dr. Mike Stone, who... Um, has contributed to the theory of periodization to an enormous extent. Um, And I got the chance to learn from him and other colleagues and professors, which is a real unbelievable experience. And the the PhD is in sport physiology, which is uh, at ETSU, was the science of taking good athletes and making them better. Um, And that's kind of interesting because it's a pretty unique degree. Most folks with PhDs in the related fields are exercise science, health professions, uh, my degree and the degree of my colleagues was pretty much about getting in really, really, really good shape, right? Not just in shape. So, um, so that's where I did my, my my PhD. My master's was in strength and conditioning at Appalachian State University. My undergraduate was at the University of Michigan in movement science, which is basically like a fancy term for kinesiology. Um, and Uh, I was a professor for a while, I taught at several schools, and then now I work for a company I helped co-found called Renaissance Periodization. Uh, Difficult to pronounce, impossible to spell in a Google search, so we we really won that one. Uh, And uh, it's uh, doing super well, and we we provide basically um, a lot of educational, scientific-based, evidence-based content. Um, And I really like the name of your podcast, by the way, because (laughs) in some very big sense, that's what uh, a lot of my work is about and a lot of what our company's work is about is, uh, you know, there's enough bullshit for 10,000 yeah. evidence-based people to, to wage war against, and there's only like 50 of us. So uh, we got our work cut out for us, and, and um, we're just trying to do our best. And uh, we, we have at our company a ton of super educated people 
most of our folks that coach for us or write articles for us or design uh, all kinds of uh, tools for us, uh, our PhDs in the health and sports sciences, uh, most of them are competitive athletes, so we kind of just, just trying to do our little part to fight Dr. Oz's evil army <laughs> of doom. That's awesome. And actually, that would be a good question. Is like, what's the thing that bugs you the most you see in our fitness industry? Because there's a lot of people that, you know, will start an Instagram page and are like, hey, I'm a trainer. Here's the best info out there. And they have, like, no science to back it up. Sure. Yeah. Well, you know, that that's definitely up there, that <laughs> phenomenon you just described. Um, I would say, you know, my pet peeves come come and go. And if you talk to any of my friends, they'll tell you that I have a certain, certainly accumulated quite quite a variety of them. But I would have to say like a perennial one and one that, that's really, whenever I forget about it, it always comes back to bite me, is people have an inherent tendency, which isn't necessarily all bad, to want fitness solutions to come neatly, quickly, with no complexity and with barely any effort on their part, with no side effects. And they think that such a, to be honest, miraculous entity is um, just going to be offered in like a muscle magazine or on an ad on late night TV. So they'll be like, hey, I heard you can just shock your abs into a six pack. Is that true? And I'm just like, you know, there's hundreds of thousands of fitness competitors training their abs right now and they're not doing that and, and i wonder why you know it's hey here's another here's another actually a, a brilliant example of that people say you know i heard that if you just eat the right foods and it's not super complicated if you modulate your hormones properly calories balance doesn't matter calories in and out doesn't matter and 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 all of a sudden you're like man you know you got to tell the professional bodybuilders and fitness competitors out there because they're starving themselves what a mere misunderstanding of physiology i mean they're all just just uh, they, they could be eating as many calories as they want, you know, and, and, and you know, to, to make the punchline really funny, all, a lot of them take hormones already. They're, they're very well in, in charge of their hormones. So it's one of those things where people are always looking for that shortcut, quick trick, one fix. And, you know, most of that ends up on Dr. Ross's TV show, ironically. Um, and it's, it's one of those things where a part of me is upset with the people selling that kind of stuff. But hey, free market, supply and demand, a big part is of, of me is upset with people for just being so gullible. And I mean, a lot of people you know, who are educated, who are intelligent in professional fields, they never fall for this in their own field. You know, if, they, if they're accountants, you'd be like, hey, I heard this one app is gonna do all my accounting. I don't even have to, have to type in any of my information. They're gonna be like, yeah, I don't know what kind of exemptions you're going to get, but that, that sounds like a really bad idea, right? Like, oh, but like a guy on Instagram said it worked. They'd be like, okay. But when, when it comes to, interestingly enough, their health and certainly their fitness, people are like, oh, this like Instagram guy says that all I have to do is take this pill and I'll have abs. And I'm like, yeah, are you really? At your current age, you're not a child. You really think it's that simple. And they kind of give you this dumbfounded look. And, and if you talk to people more compassionately about it, they kind of level with you and they say, you know, I hope so. But it's like, you know, we, you, you, don't, you don't build anything on hopes. Hopes are good motivators, but then you have to sort of juxtapose that to reality and realize that if you're going to get in shape, it's going to require some effort into understanding the basics. And the basics, I don't want to say they're tough. They, they require some work, patience, and most of all, time to let your body become more fit and more healthy. And, and people hear that and they're like, yeah, but what about this magic trick? And then we're back to square one. So that's my number one pet peeve currently. Gotcha. And I'd be kind of curious with your opinion on this because 
the ketogenic diet is back. Everyone is jumping on it. They are selling ketone products on Instagram. And I'm kind of curious on your take on the whole keto topic. Well, funny enough, I sell ketones, and I've got a promo code that I'd like to share with your audience because <laughs> yeah. I get paid every time. There yeah, great. So <laughs> um, I actually sell them in a, out of a trench coat in, in my neighborhood, just, just ketones <laughs> on me at all times. Uh, the police can't charge me. It's technically not legal. So um, ketones. So ketosis is an interesting process. Uh, there's nothing magical about ketosis that burns fat. Uh, so, for example, if you uh, are in ketosis, but you consume enough dietary fat and enough protein to be at the uh, same calorie level that your body demands, isocaloric, you don't actually lose any weight or any meaningful fat um, because calories in and out is dominant. But the ketogenic diet or other low-carbohydrate diets make it really tough to eat a whole lot of food. Because the way people get in trouble with body weight most of the time, especially regular folks, is they eat tasty foods, which can actually be defined. It is foods with a high sugar and or salt or both content that are high in fats and carbohydrates that are designed by chefs to be as delicious as possible. Now, if you eliminate most carbohydrates, man, there's just nothing like, you know, can you imagine just being super hungry and you're sitting around late night, you know, watching TV, you're like, ooh, I'm going to go on this menu website and order something good. And they're like, okay, great, but no carbs. You're like, ooh, ugh, ugh. I don't, wait, I'm just going to eat at home. <laughs> that rules out every delicious food I can think of. Ice cream gone, pizza gone, french fries gone, burgers gone. So all of a sudden, the ketogenic diet, if you stick to it, can be used to lower your calories just kind of by default because you're not prone to eat much cheap food when you're not allowed to eat most of it. So by that way, it puts you in a caloric deficit and then you lose fat. So here's where the crux of the issue is. The ketogenic part is just a result of your body not having carbohydrates and needing to generate alternate fuels, particularly for your nervous system. There's nothing magical about the ketosis that makes you burn fat. It's the calorie deficit that results in the ketosis, and it's the calorie deficit that also results in fat. It's correlation versus causation. So consuming ketone supplements is the ultimate um, sort of fallacy in correlation versus causation because now you're like, well, these things occur together, then they must be, you know, um, what kind of cause each other. And that's just totally not true. So ketone supplements, outside of maybe some performance benefits for certain very, very um, uh, uncharacteristic sports, or maybe for some individuals uh, in very, uh, you know, sort of un, uh, irregular cases, they, they, they don't do much and they certainly don't burn fat. It would be kind of akin to watching people put tanning lotion on, like a sunblock, when they go tanning, and then you see that they get a tan, and you just stay indoors and put sunblock on, and you're like, here we go, tan, baby. And it's like, yeah, people do that together, but that, well, that that's not causing that. It just occurs you know, at the same time. So so that's my summary of the, of the ketogenic diet. Now, I will say this. If you are an individual, and there are some individuals that really get crazy with carbs, and there are some individuals that are more abstainers than they are moderators. So for these individuals, and that's not everyone, it's not even the majority of people, when they just stay the hell away from something that tempts them, it never really bothers them. But if they try to moderate it, uh, it's like just uh, for a really rough analogy, it's like having a little bit of crack cocaine. Most people are abstainers from crack cocaine. You have all the crack in the world and it ruins your life, or you have none and you never think about it. Now, most people driving to work are like, ooh, I could go for a crack rock today. Like, nobody says that, right? So some people, rare, not rare occasions, but the minority, are like that with carbohydrate. And so if they eat much less of it, it's a really easy way for them to sustainably reduce their calories. And 
and, and live the fitness lifestyle. Does it come with performance trade-offs? Totally. But for some people, it works. The thing is, um, a lot of people try keto, but only a small fraction of them are those kinds of people. Other kind of folks need carbs for performance or are not abstainers because some people, when they abstain, they just want something more and more and more, right? So um, then uh, all of a sudden, for those people, they get on keto, they feel like crap, they do it for a while, they lose a bunch of weight, and then they snap at like a work function, you know, uh, eat a five trillion cookies, lose their mind, go on a binge for a day and a half, and then they've gained all their weight back, and they're like, eh, damn it, you know, there's that bad diet. So a low-carbohydrate diet can work, but I would encourage people to experiment with it, not at its extremes, but at its relatives. So if you're currently eating some amount of carbohydrate, protein, and fat, try to lower your carbohydrate intake a bit and a bit and a bit. See how you feel. If you feel great and even better, heck, keep it up. Go slow so that you don't put yourself in a really, really uh, sort of unusual diet, a very, very uh, uh, um, kind of uh, sort of irregular pattern of nutrition for your body it, so that that way there's no shock and your chance of sustainable behavior is much higher. Yeah, that was really good. And this would be probably good for the next question is like, what's your diet currently looking like right now? Because you're, you're a big dude and I'm assuming you eat a lot. So I'm kind of curious, like, what's a daily food intake for you look like? Yeah, well, that's a good question. <laughs> um, so I preface this by saying, please do not copy me unless you're a competitive bodybuilder who weighs a lot. <laughs> um, this is not the optimal health diet. Um, it's absolutely not that. And it's sort of needlessly restrictive for most people unless you are a competitive bodybuilder who's relatively large. What I do is I eat roughly a gram of protein per pound of body weight, maybe a little bit more, so like 250 to 300 grams of protein per day. And then I eat roughly 0.3 grams of fat per pound per day. So for me, that ends up being something like 70 grams of fat, which is actually very low, relatively speaking. And then I eat the rest of my calories pretty much in carbohydrate, which on certain training days, and I'm currently trying to gain weight, um, exceeds 700 grams of carbohydrate per day. So my daily diet ends up being, I usually wake up, here's a typical day currently, I wake up and have a mass gainer shake that has 50 grams of protein, 250 grams of carbs, four grams of fat. It's uh, called Serious Mass by Optimum Nutrition. They do not sponsor me. <laughs> they don't know I exist, but I love their I love their masking and shake because it's super easy to take down. Then I work for a while um, doing my RP stuff, and then I go to the gym to train, and I have a shake with me that is on average um, about 40 grams of whey protein and 100 grams of glycemic carbohydrates, usually from Gatorade. It's got a little bit of salt in it to help with my hydration. I also do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu um, often, so I have to stay extra hydrated for that because you sweat half your body weight out. And uh, my shake also contains creatine, not because there's any magic to taking creatine with the workout shake, just because you got to take it at some point in the day and it's easy to just throw it in with something else. I come back after the workout, I have another mass gainer shake. Again, not because there's anything magical about mass gainers, just because when you're eating 800 grams of carbs a day, you don't really feel like eating anymore. You'd rather just drink as much of your food as you can. So 50 grams of protein again, 250 grams of carbs, 4 grams of fat. So I've already consumed over 600 grams of carbs by this point. And then the next couple of meals are whole food meals where I have chicken and rice and, um, you know, pasta and beef and veggies and just the normal stuff. And then I finish my night out usually with a casein shake or a mixed casein and whey shake. And since I wake up 
to pee at night anyway, I usually have half the shake um, before bed and then the other half in the middle of the night when I wake up to pee. That's my highly exciting diet. <laughs> wow. That's a lot of shakes. Like, Do you ever get any kind of like stomach issues when you first started implementing this? I got the opposite of stomach issues because shakes work through me like magic. We were made for each other. <laughs> well, at, at that level of intake, 800 grams of carbs, eating that much whole food is way harder than drinking it. Yeah. So the shakes are actually way easier on me. You know, I don't... If you've ever lined up 800 grams of carbs in terms of like white rice, I mean, it's an oppressive amount of carbohydrate, which is what my coach says. Uh, it, it really, so, so these shakes are kind of the only way I can sustain this kind of eating. And mind you, this isn't my regular eating to maintain weight, this is to gain weight. So I'm currently about 255 pounds, and the plan is over the next year to take me to 265, which is gonna require you know, a whole lot of this kind of stuff and a whole lot of you know, not liking. If you ask me right now what my favorite food is, I do not have an answer. I do not have a favorite food. I, I, there's a lot of foods I'd rather never see again, but that's, that's the way it works. Um, awesome. Uh, the next question I wanted to get into is like, I'm kind of curious to why you wanted to get your PhD because like a lot of guys who are in like the powerlifting world and bodybuilding world, sometimes they're not so keen on the science and they just let other people do it. But were you always the type of person always wanting to learn and, you know, find that next thing? So would you like me to answer why? Can you hear me, by the way? Yes, I can, yeah. Okay. Would you like me to answer why? what drove me to get my PhD or uh, of advice for folks considering their PhD? Um, maybe both. So maybe start with uh, okay. why you wanted to get your PhD. Well, well, Rafael, aren't we greedy? You know, all kinds of answers today. My <laughs> yeah. God. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, fundamentally, the reason I got my PhD is because I, I'm a, a little bit of quirky individual. I'll give you an example of this. Um, when I watch movies, I do not like to watch um, intellectual movies that make me think because when I open up the thinking box, it doesn't close super easily and I start to arrange everything I see as systems. And if I can't systematize something, it upsets me and I uh, have to figure out how it works on a, on a principled and systemic basis, not just, oh, this happened and I'm just gonna assume it happened. Like, no, 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 no. I wanna know why it happened. I don't know what, I wanna know when it's gonna happen again. I wanna know the logical structure of what I'm dealing with. So like crime dramas are just terrible for me because I'm like, ah. <laughs> so when I got into trying to get bigger and stronger just for my own entertainment, it quickly became not entertainment and a quest to systematize that process. Where am I gonna learn the most about the systems that underlie making me stronger and less fat and all that other stuff and improve performance? Well, in the, the academia. And uh, I took my, I got my undergrad, I didn't learn enough, I got my master's, I didn't learn enough, I got my PhD, I didn't learn enough, so I'm still learning. <laughs> um, if there was a degree above PhD that I could get, I would be the first person to enroll in that. Um, so, so that's why I got mine. Um, as for folks considering it, you gotta really have a passion for knowledge in that field. Like if you're like kind of interested in you sort of like exercise science or sports are cool, don't bother. Um, if you're fascinated by why some people are stronger than others, why some people are bigger than others, uh, how do we solve the obesity crisis, all of that kind of stuff, fascinated, try a master's degree. If you love it, you're gonna love your PhD. If you hate your master's degree, maybe it was a mismatch, professor, blah, blah, blah. If you have that passion, you get a PhD. You know, it's not, it's not a, 
it's not the most practical degree. It can be very practical if you successfully apply it, but man, it's a whole lot of effort. Um, and if you're passionate, it, it whizzes by like you didn't even notice. Um, I actually was talking to one of my coworkers at RP who did her PhD on uh, gut bacteria, uh, funny enough, um, and she said she loved writing her dissertation, and I agreed with her, I love writing mine too. Most people don't say that about a 150-page paper. <laughs> so if you can honestly say like, oh my God, I would love to write a review of the literature on like the back squat or on foods people eat to get in shape, that would fascinate you to do, PhD is where you belong. If it's anything but, it's gonna be either a tough road or just a not worthwhile road. No, that's good advice. Um, so the next thing I wanna get into is some Facebook questions. And uh, the oh first, boy. oh yeah. <laughs> the first one is uh, most people's sticking point on squats is just above parallel. How would you go about overloading that? Would you set safeties at the point and do partial squats at that range of motion? Yeah. So uh, I'd like to preface the, my answer with it is by no means clear that addressing sticking points is always, or even most of the time, the way to improve lift performance. If you think through the biomechanics, or actually, you don't even have to know biomechanics, um, you have to fail a lift somewhere, right? Like, if you tried to squat 7,000 pounds, you would fail with it at some point, right? Maybe something more reasonable, like 110% of your one rep max, something you'd never squat you know, within the next two years, but you would, you would fail with it somewhere. Like, you would probably move it out of the hole. Uh, wherever you'd fail, you'd fail. So, you know, you're missing your lift. It's gotta be missed somewhere. Now, are you really gonna tell me that the reason you currently can't squat 110% of your max is because you're just sort of neurologically deficient and you have a coordination problem among major muscle groups at exactly that joint angle which you missed it? No, you're just plain old not strong enough, right? When you're not strong enough, you're gonna have to miss it somewhere, right? So I think one of the best recipes for uh, missing a lift at some sticking point is get stronger, period. Basic programming, full range of motion lifts, intelligent periodization, and all of a sudden, your sticking point is exactly the same place it always was, but it's 20 kilos higher. That's cool. Now, there are some situations in which sticking points are the result of technical flaws. At that point, there's a variety of ways to go about it. You could sometimes use bands and chains if it's an acceleration problem at lockout. You can sometimes target specific musculature. For example, if you are squatting and you're missing squats, you know, at the bottom of the squat, maybe a glute problem. If you're missing them at the top, we have to see your back position. So at that point, we enter a discussion where the input variables are actually quite complex. And by complex, I just mean we need to know a lot more about the individual lifter. Not everyone who misses their squat at right above parallel is missing it for the exact same reasons. But again, the most popular, popular, the most prevalent reason to miss the squat there is just because that's just biomechanically the hardest position, and that's where your muscles are taking the most strain, and they're the most, you know, they're required to produce the most torque. So if you're going to miss, you're probably going to miss there just on a lack of strength deficit. You know what I mean? Um, so it's kind of like, you know, like uh, having a like a dragster, and you're like, yeah, man, we're really slow out of like the first, you know, quarter second. Like we could be getting further along the track then. And it's like. Yeah, what if you just made the car just plain old accelerate faster? It'd be like, yeah, it's probably, you know, let's say you have a four-cylinder engine. You're like, oh, that first little bit's not good. Like, yeah, why don't you just get an eight-cylinder engine and every bit is going to be good? So I think some people sort of um, 
can get down this rabbit hole of being like, oh man, you know, I really have to focus on this particular sticking point. You're benching, you know, 90 kilos trying to work on sticking points where someone is just doing good training and benching 95 kilos, 100 kilos over time, 105, 110, et cetera, they leave you behind and they never even worked on sticky points. They just got stronger. Does that make sense? No, that was really good. I loved it. Um, the next question is from Max and it's like a two-parter. And I'm assuming the first part's kind of like an inside joke or something, but... Uh, oh, it, be- it better be hilarious. Um, how is the carpet made from his body hair coming along past seven meters yet? And then... Um, uh, he said maybe how he would attempt hypertrophy focused training for legs if deadlifts are impossible for longer slash indefinite times and what would he recommend for calf training if specific machines for adding weights are not available yeah first part of the question you know max you're the first person to make a body hair joke (laughs) to me interestingly enough the joke is hilarious so let's Take a minute yourselves. All right. Now that we have done that, <laughs> let's address the actual question. So, by the way, the body hair thing is like, yes, I'm very hairy. Yes, I'm aware of it. Um, I am actually technically half gorilla, so it's a little bit when people bring it up. Um, all right. The question. Leg training without deadlifts is really not a big problem because deadlifts are not a fine-tooth comb for leg training. They will develop lower body mass, particularly the glutes and hamstrings, but even for the glutes and hamstrings, there are better movements. So if you can do good mornings, if you can do stiff-legged deadlifts, even if you can do hamstring curls, lunges, etc., your glutes and hams are going to be fine. And they do predominantly squats and various leg presses and hack squats of all kinds to hit the quads, and then you're good to go. So deadlifts, uh, you know, I don't really do hold a lot of deadlifting anymore because I've got like 50 injuries, uh, and my legs are bigger than they've ever been because I'm squatting well and I'm doing hack squats and leg presses and, and stiff-legged deadlifts and good mornings and all that stuff. So you're not missing a whole lot. As for calf training, if you don't have machines, any way you can create a block to create that stretch position with straight legs, grab a dumbbell or grab nothing at all, get a stair, if you've got a staircase, it's the perfect place to do calves. You know, put half of your foot off of the staircase, leave half of it on, one foot at a time, two feet at a time, point your feet at one angle, point at another, run various progression schemes, periodization schemes, hold a lot of weight, do sets of eight, hold no weight, do sets of, you know, 30, try to experiment with really short rest breaks, and you've got all kinds of, uh, of awesome, awesome stuff. Machines actually are really, like, low on the priority for calves. Anything that you could do with just having a step is, uh, is almost infinite variation there. Um, because you brought up your injuries, what are you currently dealing with? I'm kind of curious. <laughs> That's funny. I have an injury in my triceps that if I train them very hard, they they start to, uh, I think they're being pulled, though I'm not sure. It's not an injury that shows up on MRI. Um, it, it shows up on a physical exam, but it can't be, it's not palpated. There's no uh, sort of like apparent deformation. Uh, deadlifts, uh, funny enough, stress my triceps so that when I'm doing the second part of the deadlift, once it clears the knees, it's a lot of a long head of the triceps, which is the particular head of the triceps for me that is giving me problems. Um, this happened because I overtrained uh, rowing uh, my back once and it never healed ever. Um, so I have to be very careful about how I do my pulling work and I have to do very uh, be very careful with pull-ups and stuff like that that stress the long head and deadlifts are just just not worth it for me um, and now I also have a, a neck injury from Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu that if I uh, put too much weight down into my traps I can't feel my right 
right arm, unless it's pain, <laughs> and then I feel it a lot. So I think that, that, that that's two of the injuries. Uh, I'm positive there's more. Uh, um, but, yeah, I'm like 34 years old now, and I'm like a, a, a walking, very well-calculated, seemingly healthy mess. Um, <laughs> but I know how to train well enough to pick the right strategies. And so my training is actually super productive. I just have to make sure to stay away from exercises uh, and ways of doing exercises that are just I know going to get me hurt. I bring this up because I, I've been watching the Dave Tate project with uh, John Russin and like Dave Tate, another strong dude. And this is like the first time he's doing like asymmetrical stance exercises and like reverse lunges and he just hates it. So I'm kind of curious, like, do you do any kind of like the functional stuff or do you primarily just stick to the big three? Yeah, I, um, I, I do the big three and I do the bodybuilding movements, um, you know, dumbbells and machine stuff like that always to the full range of motion mostly free weights um i don't do anything quote-unquote functional because all i get all of that from rolling and brazilian jiu-jitsu fighting another violent human being doesn't get much more functional <laughs> i don't know I, I can't like do a one leg squat but i can sure as hell choke a lot of people out uh, and, and move pretty dynamically on a mat so uh I, you know it's one of those things where you know, i have some hang-ups with the functional movement anyway but i think some of that stuff's great for rehab some of it's great for body awareness for people who aren't used to moving athletically because i have a big athletic component to my training i don't i think it's something that i would benefit from at all no fair enough um so the next one is kind of a personal question i believe Uh i hopefully i don't screw this guy's name up but it's oakage hopefully um ask him if he's enjoying the marriage life and how his thoughts process with training during his honeymoon yeah, I mean, that's, it's terrible. I thought I was marrying someone I knew, and then she turned out to just be this awful person. She's already bankrupted me. All my money's gone. I'm literally, like, riding a bicycle to New York City right now talking on the phone. I'm going to run out of minutes soon because I can't pay my bill. Um, JK, married life is identical to engaged life and really pretty close to girlfriend-boyfriend life because Crystal and I have been together for a while. We know each other super well well and we're really oh she is anyway super down to earth so like we came back from our honeymoon and we're sleeping in the same bed same house and we're like i'm like what up wifey and she's like what up and that was it like you know just call each other different things it is very it feels more special um it feels more magical to me but um she hates it i'm just kidding uh so it does feel a little bit more special but uh, but it really feels very similar as far as thought process for training on a honeymoon we went to our honeymoon to an all-inclusive resort uh, which has all the meals covered, and there's a bunch of really tasty food. So uh, and Crystal and I love to train. She's a competitive powerlifter. And um, we train basically twice a day, almost every day, morning and evening or morning and afternoon. And then when we didn't train, we either ate uh, or lounged around in the pool or uh, took a lot of naps and slept nine hours a night uh, and so on and so forth. So it was, it was magical. And because we love training so much, um, Training to us is like something we do when there's nothing going on. Like people uh, ask me, like, "Oh my God, why did you train on vacation?" I'm like, "That that's what I do on vacations is train." Um, so it, to me, it's super fun and awesome. And you know, if, if I have to not train, I can be on vacation for about two days until like start to literally lose my mind that I have to go train. So, awesome. That logic. Um, so another question I wanted to bring up, like you are very well at the highest point of your career, maybe maybe a little further, but I'm kind of curious, what kind of advice would you give to yourself in your early 20s? 
Uh, run. Just run from everything. <laughs> Fear more. Take less risk. Um, <laughs> just kidding. That would be sweet advice. Yeah. Um, man, early 20s. I'm going to give a really overly intellectualized answer, and then I'm going to give you a much more workable answer. The overly intellectualized answer is it is uh, quite presumptive on our parts to think that um, based on a person's certain individual conditions at any one time, that they are in that life point that they are best prepared to take good advice. And um, so you can give someone advice and the chance of them integrating into their life may be very low. And they may very well already know that advice. And then later on when they're ready, when their stars align, so to speak, especially psychologically for them, when their developmental processes mature, they may find themselves following that exact advice without even having considered that somebody told it to them once. Um, to be honest, in my early 20s, most of the advice I'd give myself is probably about how to deal with girls and, and not remotely about career, because by, by my early 20s, I was pretty sure I wanted to excel at intellectual endeavors, and I was already a pretty hard worker. So um, uh, I was just you know on my way uh, already as far as that. Um, as a matter of fact, I, mean, I was one hell of a high school student, uh, which is the lamest thing anyone's ever said. And <laughs> clearly, I got laid zero times in high school, which is also a fact. Feel free to not edit that out. And uh, so, uh, yeah, most of my advice would be with, uh, you know, female relations. But as far as career and stuff like that, um, if I had advice for my 20-year-old my self, it probably wouldn't be a whole I, – I would like my 20-year-old self to see what I've become now and just for me to just wink and be like, hey, man, it's all going to be okay. But at the same time, I'm kind of fearful of that because maybe if I thought it was all going to be okay, I wouldn't have tried as hard. So who knows? Um, you know, I guess the advice I have for other 20-year-olds is – things, make logical decisions, work until you're bloody and your bones are visible, and then you will have great things coming to you on a regular basis. That's good advice, and maybe this will be one of the last questions, because I know we are tight on the schedule, but sure. you know, what's uh, exciting you right now in the fitness industry that is like keeping you up at night and you can't wait to learn more about it? Uh, a topic, or a kind of like a development in the community? Uh, let's go with the development. Man, you know, there are so many outlets for awesome information, whereas five years ago, ten years ago, they just weren't. If people want to learn stuff, they can. There is, um, you know, the Shredded by Science Academy. There's Greg Knuckles, uh, uh, what is it, um, uh, Stronger by Science or whatever Greg mm -hmm. calls his stuff. Brad Schoenfeld putting out stuff. Alan Aragon, James Krieger, Weightology amazing, super in-depth, accessible. Um, Meadow Henselman's has, a, you know, always puts out, and, and there's kind of this cast of characters and a bunch of, uh, you know, folks whose names, you know, I can't get to are just, um, you know, some of them are more conservative, some of them are more liberal, uh, not politically, but with, you know, how much information they put out as far as what is a kind of sort of an, an experimental notion versus something you should take very seriously. And some of them are, for example, Meno is a very... Um, independent, individualistic thinker, so he'll get on stuff that no one's really thinking about and be like, hey, why doesn't this work? And everyone's like, oh, shit, you know? And, and he's wrong a lot, and he's right a lot. So you got all these people and all these great outlets, and RP hopefully is one of them, uh, and all of a sudden, if you really want to learn how fitness works, man, you've got so many hours ahead of you. You don't need to go to school. It's great to go to school, but if you just already have your own career and you just really want to brush up, man, just a couple of subscriptions to some of these sites and, and there's so much free content too. It's just, it's a 
unlike no other. Whereas, like, if 10 years ago you wanted to learn stuff, I don't know, you buy a Flex magazine and look at pictures of bodybuilders and shit's written for, like, four-year-olds or something. I don't know. There's, like, two pages of text in the whole thing. I loved Flex magazine back in the day. It was really motivational. But as far as learning, you know, not exactly where you go. So I, I'm just super excited, and it's always growing. So um, it's, uh, you know, at RP, for example, we're always building more courses in our online uh, sort of portal, and these are all actual courses. Courses taught about exercise science. So um, you can learn like biomechanics, exercise physiology, hours of lecture delivered by an actual professor, and it's like ten bucks a month. I mean that's insane, right? And and uh, there's and the thing is we're not the only ones, and there's tons of other great people doing the very very similar kind of stuff, putting their own slant on it. So it, gone are the days of of ignorance, and here are the days of either. Uh, enlightenment or willful ignorance. Now, fortunately, there's still a whole lot of the latter going on, but hey, when the opportunity's there, you gotta be thankful for it, even though not everybody takes it. Awesome, so very last question. Where can people find you online? What projects do you have coming out? And if you have any speaking engagements or anything else you wanna plug, you can do that right now. Totally. So, um, currently, a couple of days from releasing the Mini Cut Manual, it is a, a fat loss basically a book about how to execute very rapid fat loss phases that are um, designed to potentiate more muscle mass gain after or the kind of rebound engineers um, and there's all the details in the world about those and that book is coming out very soon renaissancepeerization.com and I'll blast it on all my social media and then uh, probably a month or two down the road is going to be the renaissance diet 2.0 it's the update to our classic RP diet book it is going to be like four to 500 pages long. We just tabulated the references. The references in standard like 11 point font are 135 pages long. <laughs> um, it's, it's ridiculous. And uh, it's good. the references are gonna be online because there's no way we're gonna put that in an actual book. It's a waste of space. So um, it's gonna be amazing. That book covers everything from calorie balance, nutrient timing, to diet psychology, adherence, how to design your own diet all that kind of stuff it, it, it's gonna it's gonna be something we're really proud of and a bunch more other projects but those are the two biggest ones coming up soon awesome so thank you so much for your time this was amazing awesome thank you so much all right so that's gonna wrap up episode 142 with mike isriatel hopefully you enjoyed that one as much as i did and it was nice short and sweet and right to the point and i want to thank all my listeners for tuning in each and every week. You guys are amazing. If you haven't already, click the link in the show notes to be part of the official Cut the Shit, Get Fit newsletter. And please, 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 I will say this every single episode, share this podcast with your friends, family, people on Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, whatever the hell you're on. Share this lovely podcast so we can grow this thing together and I will continue giving you the most amazing nutrition, health, fitness, and Netflix information on the planet. And that's it for me.